that's a sort of freedom, like an intrinsic knowledge, like you are part ocean, ocean is part you. You have salt water in your body. You are part of this. Oceans, life underwater. A new podcast all about the oceans and the mind-blowing life within them. Subscribe now to Oceans, Life Underwater on your favorite podcast app. This episode is sponsored by Hinge, the app designed to be deleted. Laura, can I ask you a question? Always. Please tell me why guys should date me. And just so you know, I'm going to record your answer because I can use this on Hinge because they've got this thing. It's like a voice prompt where you can ask your friends for their take on why people should date you, which I just think is great. Okay, people should date you because, oh, you are just the most beautiful soul. You're like a rainbow in human form. You're just so pure and sweet and you find the good in everyone. Anyone would be so lucky to have you i promise you it wasn't for the ego trip okay and it's just it's so much easier as well when you're dating it's so difficult to pull out like the nice things about you it's like writing a job profile isn't it getting the friends involved it's great for a confidence boost but then also to see what other people say about you thanks again to hinge for sponsoring this episode of go love yourself and don't forget to download hinge and give the voice prompts a try this is a crowd podcast A huge thank you to today's Patreon sponsor, Claudia Wharton. Thank you so much, Claudia. We are so grateful. The support that our patrons provide is so vital to keeping the show going. So thank you so much. And if you would like to join our Patreon and help keep the show going, head to patreon.com slash go love yourself for more information. Membership starts from £1 a week and you'll also get access to ad-free and early episodes. Or you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts. And the link to all of those will be in the episode description. Welcome to Go Love Yourself, the podcast where we're all trying to love ourselves a little bit more. Oh my God, Laura, we have had some huge news this week. Huge, huge. We are literally beside ourselves. We've been nominated for an ARIA award, everybody, which apparently is like the radio equivalent to the Oscars. The Oscars. Ridiculous. And we are nominated for best new podcast. I I just cannot like the the company that we are in and the other shortlist is is too much. Laura is too much. I know. I'm already freaking out. Do you know what the other thing that is amazing about it is that the award ceremony is going to be in a West End theatre. We're living the dream, babes. We're living the actual dream. Elton John's also been nominated. Can you imagine if he turns up? I think I'll just sing Rocket Man in his face. (laughs) (laughs) Totally reasonable, to be honest. I just feel like if if we were lucky enough to win and we get to go on the West End stage, I think they have to be ready for the fact that we will have to sing. (laughs) We can't sing. We just have to sing. We can do whatever we want, Laura. We are nominated for an ARIA award. We can do whatever we want. (laughs) But most importantly, before we get and have our defined gravity moment on the West End stage, what are you going to wear? I'm already panicking slightly about this. I don't know. I've got my eye on a a Mulberry dress. They're like a really lovely, small, independent company. Uh, The dress I wore to the Bake Off musical, that was from them. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, but they've got some other styles in. So maybe something like that. But then I feel like... I don't know. I never get the chance to properly dress up. So I always want to kind of go like black tie, but I think I might struggle to find something like that in my size. We'll see. We're going to maybe talk about that then because I'm I'm with you. I want to wear something like redonkulous. Does, but will it exist in my size? What are you thinking? Stay tuned to find out, everybody. <laughs> no, come on. You cannot leave us hanging. I've no, no, I've no what idea. It's whether we can, f- no, I've got no, uh, mate, mate, we will talk about this in a minute. I am hung over currently i have not thought about a dress for the arias because do you know how do you know how bad the imposter syndrome is today the fact that we have found out that we've been nominated for this incredibly wonderful award and i'm sat here in my pink hoodie i haven't brushed my hair i i took it out of a hairband for you babes and you'll notice as well that when i'm hung over my voice goes down an octave so it has actually my ears are thankful thank you (laughs) thank you (laughs) um i'm also joining you in the slob club because i've got wet hair it's currently near nearly four o'clock and i've only just got dressed i got pissed on (laughs) walking buddy i went out in my pajamas today (laughs) to walk in oh my god she's that person i'm that person (laughs) literally and yeah you know just having one of those days just been doing admin on the sofa really like half looking at my laptop but mainly just on my phone just cba with life it's raining 
And where yeah. is spring already, please? Yeah, mate. But so the imposter syndrome is real and we will be talking about that a little bit more very very soon i think we will yes looking forward to that episode very much i think you probably need to go and shower now because i can smell you all the way from here (laughs) (laughs) i've had two mcdonald's today don't even talk about it So you guys have been begging us for this episode pretty much since we started Go Love Yourself. Uh, we're really happy to finally be doing it because the issue of like raising like body confident kids is huge, whether you have kids or you don't, or you have kids in your life. So a huge welcome to author of Body Happy Kids, the fabulous, the one, the only Molly Forbes. How are you, Molly? I'm really well, thank you. This is I'm so pleased that we can do this. I'm <laughs> waiting a while to do it. I'm thrilled and very excited to be here. Me too, because I absolutely absolutely love your book and I recommend it all the time it's in my like stack of recommended books and I know that so many other people that I've spoken to also love your book and I think it is so needed and so necessary and it should be in all schools and every parent should have one. Oh, thank you I wrote it in 2020 so it feels a bit of a surreal bizarre time but it's so brilliant to know that people are using it and it's making you know a difference out there in some way that's so good. I remember it was the first, I think it might have even been our first or second episode, Laura mentioned it ever. So it's definitely one that she like absolutely loves. So it's awesome to have you and it's awesome to meet you. This is great. Um, and I get to kick off our chat with our first question today. So we have something at Go Love Yourself called the bag of dicks. Anything that we don't like, whether that is someone, something, diet culture thing in general, can go and eat a bag of dicks. So we have a literal bag of dicks now, which I actually have um, <laughs> at the end of my bed, like a Santa stocking at this moment in time. So Molly, is there anything that you would like to put in the bag of dicks? And we are really putting you on the spot. We haven't told her about this ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to put in the National Child Measurement program (laughs) which sees children get weighed in reception in year six i'm just gonna put it right in there we're gonna bin it Mm. off it's not gonna exist anymore so i'm happy now i also want to start off by saying i don't have children i am not particularly i don't i all my friends have got kids but i don't have like nieces or nephews or anything like that so the child measurement program is literally schools weighing children when they start and finish primary school and are they like clocking the measurements at the beginning at the start for them yeah so what happens is it's not the schools themselves it's a nursing team so it's it's actually often not even school nurses it's healthcare assistants and they come in in reception and year six and they weigh the children and they measure their height and then they plot them on the scale on the growth scale afterwards the children's parents will get a letter if they don't fall within the quote unquote healthy weight range they'll get a letter informing them that that is the case and then that's it and the children aren't meant to know on the day when they get weighed they're not they're not meant to be told their weight but sometimes it does happen i hear so many horror stories of cases where it hasn't been implemented properly but the whole program is just so so problematic imagine you know year sixes their bodies changing and also reception oh like God, children yeah. as young as four years old starting to you know equate their worth with their weight and the whole program has been going now for I think it started in 2006 I want to say and then in 2012 that's when they started sending the letters home so the parents started getting feedback about their children's weight What's really interesting is there was a a big piece of research that came out last summer and they found a direct correlation between when parents started getting feedback, those letters home in 2012, and a big rise in the number of children struggling with their body image. One in seven children across the weight spectrum are actively trying to lose weight and they found a correlation between 2012 when they started getting feedback about the weight or the parents started getting the feedback and the children then starting to have those issues. So it's having essentially the opposite effect of what I'm assuming whoever put it in place wanted to. Yeah, what happened before the child measurement program was they had school nurses. So school nurses would go in and do like a full kind of holistic health check 
the measurements would be taken as part of that, but it was like a whole holistic health check. And it was very much just about kind of neutrally, like two-year-olds get a health check from the health visitor. And then what happened was they brought this in. It's a lot cheaper to run, but it isn't a health check. It shouldn't be thought of as a screening because it isn't a screening. It's literally just measuring. And it's basically, what it is, is a data collection exercise. And then that informs government policy around health and I say how I use the word health loosely because it's not, it's leading to unhealthy outcomes and health issues with kids. But yeah, I just hate the whole thing. I hate it. I hate it so much with such deep passion. And I hear so many stories about children who are struggling because of it. And also stories now from, from adults or, you know, young adults who, who have struggled as a result of it. It was like the beginning of like issues for them with their body and food. And it like so much money gets spent on it and it doesn't have any positive outcomes. It's just got the potential for ta- for harm. It just seems really unnecessary to me. I think I just, I hate the fact of like children like stripping down to their underwear and parade, like you said, when they you know, their bodies are changing. You can opt out of it. The, the parent and caregiver should be given two weeks notice before it happens because it doesn't happen at the same time for everyone. It happens at different points in the year, depending on where you are. And the parents should be given the option to opt out. But what is happening a lot of the time is that I'm hearing stories all the time of parents who are opting out and then the kids are still getting yeah, weighed. I've heard that a lot too. It's happening a lot. And mm. the other thing is the opt out process is really complicated. If you're a busy parent who's, you know, got a million things going on, you're juggling loads of stuff. The last thing that you have time for is another piece of admin where you have to ring a phone number or, you know, another form to fill in. It should be as easy as literally just ticking a, a box on a form that says, I don't give consent Mm. but actually local authorities get a lot of money for running this program so they want to get as much data as possible so some of them are making it really hard to opt Mm. out it'll be like a phone number and when the parents ring the phone number no one answers because there's no one in the office and then they're ringing Mm. and ringing and then the day comes around and they haven't been able to opt out so these kind of things are happening all the time it's just oh I hate it I hate it so much so silly the other thing I don't like about it is that it's again we talk about this a lot on the podcast is that it kind of assumes that weight is the only measure of health and we know that BMI is inherently racist we know that it's completely flawed it's not you know meant to measure like people's health on an individual level and I I see it all the time I see it on TikTok I see it online in newspapers and articles in research where kids that are healthy they're very physically active they eat a very you know a great diet they've been classed as like obese or overweight they get a letter home and the mum's like what and it just seems to me like so unnecessary yeah it teaches kids to think about weight as like the most important measure of health you know Mm. as a measure of health it teaches them that also subsequently the outcome of that could be that they they think that the their health and their weight is totally within their control when we know that, that that isn't the case. So what could happen is if a parent then gets a letter to say their child is in a higher weight category, the parent might panic and which is probably a natural response in the fat phobic mm-hmm. society that we live in. Parents are then going to think, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible parent. What's going on with my child? And they might put their child in a diet. And that could be the beginning of an eating disorder for that child. And we know that there are so many children now who are struggling with eating disorders and can't access treatment yet at the same time we're weighing kids in school and doing these things it's actively perpetuating this issue it, it doesn't make any sense you're so right Lauren it doesn't make any sense it doesn't at make all. any sense and I just think of when I was a kid I was average size I guess but I I started puberty when I was like 10 so I was there in year six with like b-cut boobs like a, a you know curvier body already heavier than my friends because I was going into puberty before everybody if I'd been made to literally I feel emotional about it like that girl then if I'd been made to stand on a scale in front of my friends and you know even the boys then were like making fun of me because I had boobs and stuff like it made to stand on that scale and those as if the kids aren't all going to talk about it as if the kids aren't all going to talk about well, what did you weigh what did you weigh what did you weigh as if those conversations aren't happening and I just feel I feel really sad about it I can in my head maybe even no, and I can't forgive the reception thing. I don't. I still don't understand it. But the year six thing, kids, are, that's too old, in my opinion. Yeah. The other thing that happens is that naturally, like before we go through puberty, yeah, we naturally go out before we go up. So we put on, mm. we gain weight, we mm. layer, we 
hot put down fat stores in readiness for puberty because so much energy is needed to go through puberty. So actually we're weighing children at a time when they are naturally gaining weight because that's biology. That's literally what their bodies are meant to do. And then we're saying, oh no, that's wrong. But actually their bodies are literally doing what their bodies are meant to do. And and then we're saying, oh no, they're they're too fat. You know, it's um I guess the reason it's happening is probably all down to money, really, because it's a much cheaper way of doing it than what was happening before with school nursing teams. And also it's political, like everything's political. Um, Just so, yeah, I'm going to put that in your bag of dicks. That, <laughs> <laughs> that is so hard in that bag. <laughs> we've not had one yet that we've not put in. Every, everything's to be fair. We're like, yeah, it's going straight in. But that especially is going straight in. So what made you get into this kind of like line of work, Molly? So I've got two daughters. My eldest is 12 now and my youngest is eight. And I remember when my youngest was born, like I've always sort of been on and off the diet bandwagon and, you know, just the typical kind of stuff thinking that, you know, I could change the shape of my body really easily, but also feeling like I had to, like pre-wedding diets, pre-summer holidays diets, all of that kind of stuff. And I remember feeling like I didn't want that for my daughter when she was born. But then when my second daughter was born, I really kind of dipped and went through quite a messy phase of poor body image. We, we just moved to a different area and I was feeling quite isolated and I'd left the job that I was doing before. So I used to work in radio and like a really kind of buzzy environment. And then suddenly I was living in Devon in the countryside with a baby and a four-year-old and like my my whole life had really changed. And I thought if I could just get my pre-baby body back, I'd somehow kind of refine that pre-baby life, which is ridiculous when I think about it in hindsight, but I think that's what was going on subconsciously. Anyway, I had a kind of moment where my elder daughter at the time asked me why I was weighing spinach and I just then realized I didn't I couldn't kind of explain to her because the reason I was was so that I when we went on holiday I could wear a bikini and not feel self-conscious about my tummy but then I'm not going to tell my daughter that you can only wear a bikini on the beach if you've got a flat tummy and I didn't Mm. want my my daughter to pick up any of that stuff though that was a real kind of realization moment for me And that was how I started learning about body image and anti-fat bias and diet culture and things. But then I got um, a leaflet through my door for a a very well-known diet brand. And I just remember being absolutely livid (laughs) that how they had the audacity to come to my house and open my letterbox (laughs) and put this absolute filth through my letterbox. I was just so angry about it. You know, my daughter could have seen that. My four-year-old who was learning, or my five-year-old at the time who was learning how to read could have picked it up and seen it. And Mm. I thought, how dare you? It's so intrusive. It's bad enough that it's on my social media feeds. It's bad enough that I might see an ad on the TV or on the radio, but I do not want it like through Mm. my letterbox in my house. Get out. Who are you? (laughs) I think I took to social media and had a bit of a rant about it. And I heard from loads of people who were like, oh yeah, actually there are posters for this diet brand or this other diet brand or this other diet brand or my kids score gates. And oh yeah, actually oh, my, yeah, da- my daughter came home from mm. school with um, a leaflet for this in her book bag. And my son goes to r- football and they sponsor his football kit. And I was like, oh my gosh, how is this even allowed? Oh my God, this is mm. such a good point. So obviously what they're doing is they're trying to target where the parents hang out because the parents are the ones that they want to sign up to the, the clubs. Although for some of the brands you can start if your children are as young as 11 years old they can join but then it doesn't make sense because for these brands like they're not allowed to actively target children so there are quite strict rules around the way that they're advertised in like print and um, tv mainstream media but there's no regulation around where the physical like marketing collateral those big banners and the leaflets and things are so children are walking past these massive banners that are literally telling them that like they need to be thin or they need to lose weight or you know in order to be healthy worthwhile successful beautiful you need to be change your body and it's normalizing these kind of conversations in the playground 
And I started campaigning on it. It really opened my eyes to how I think I was probably in a really naive little bubble, not necessarily aware until that point. I found what we said just then really interesting. And I think a lot of people will relate in that you at the time were dieting and going through all of that to get into a bikini because you felt that you could only wear a bikini if you had a flat stomach. However, not for one second did that thought cross your mind that you would tell your daughter that. Yeah, because... Children pick up on things, right? They're, they're yeah. watching, their little ears are listening all the time, like picking. Sometimes it's a bit annoying, like they just kind of always there, like mm. listening. <laughs> My daughter was watching and listening. And we, even if I wasn't actively saying to her, oh, actually, it's only good if you're thin and I, I need to be like thinner. And actually the way I look is the most important thing about me. And actually my body's not good enough just as it is, even though, you know, like, uh, like at that point I was absolutely exhausted. I was running on fumes. I was completely sleep deprived. I had a newborn baby. I was breastfeeding, like all of those things. And I was still putting my body through these like grueling exercise regimes and not feeding myself the, the, the level of like nutrients that I needed just to kind of, just existed doing all the things that I was doing as a busy mum, but I was just not being kind to my body. And then it took my daughter noticing that to make me feel mortified. Essentially, I was giving her the opposite message. And I think that's so common. You know, we want our kids to be good people. We don't want our kids to struggle with this stuff yet. We're saying things in front of them like, oh, I just need to, I'm being good today. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not, mm. not going to, oh, I've been so naughty. I've eaten that cake. And, mm. you know, oh, I need to, I can't wear these jeans, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Kids pick up on it and it just reinforces and perpetuates all of the other noise mm, that is yeah. all around them all the time. And I was going to ask you actually about, you mentioned about like good and bad food. I wanted to ask you about the importance of language because I even find myself doing it with my, my nieces. Like if they come over and, and I cook for them, I'll say, oh yeah, like finish your dinner and then you can have a treat. And and one thing I actually found myself saying the other day and I got really cross with myself about was like, come on, there are kids starving so what importance does kind of language bear and what things do kind of like parents or people with like nieces and nephews need to be mindful of? I think trying to avoid that that moral hierarchy thing. So really thinking about food as a neutral thing, which is really difficult because as a parent, we have this idea that like the basic things that we need to do are like keep our kids warm, love them, feed them and make them say please and thank you you know <laughs> and actually food is such an emotive thing and if our kids aren't eating maybe they're vegetables or maybe they're like quite selective feeders and not only can it make us as parents feel like we're not doing our job properly but then there's also this level of shame because you feel like other people are going to judge you. Like, I'll never forget my daughter being two years old and us like being out somewhere and her having a fruit shoot and just being really aware that this woman like on the like table next to us is like tutting and looking and I felt really self-conscious like oh my gosh like she's judging me because my daughter's having a fruit shoot because oh the amount of sugar and, and she didn't know the background that she was going through a phase of not wanting to drink water she was going through a phase of being really constipated actually that was the only way I could get liquid into her mm. like she didn't know but I felt like in that moment like embarrassed and I think that's such a typical thing so mm. it's really easy for me to sit here and say don't moralize food but it, it actually we all do it because of the culture that we live in but I think trying to be mindful of that the way I think about it with with my kids I've got two kids who've got, and I'm saying all this, by the way, with the caveat that I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist. I'm not an infant feeding specialist, but I work with, with many and I've interviewed many now. I think that, um, just kind of trying to take away the shame and judgment that comes with food, certainly not saying, Oh, you, you've already had three of those. Do you need to have another one? You know, and then not saying to the other one, Oh, you, you need to eat all of that before you can have that. You know, you need to earn that before you can have that. Mm. That's a really important thing. And the reason that I do that is because I, for me, want to raise children who have a healthy relationship with food. And for me, it's mm. about the long game so that when they leave home and they start feeding themselves and making those choices for themselves, what they're going to eat, they're going to actually have a good relationship with food and actually be in tune with their bodies with what they want to eat and not feel shame around food and not feel not have bad memories of like being forced to eat certain food 
And the research kind of backs that up. It's really interesting because the research shows that actually nagging or cajoling kids into eating food and also not really restricting kids exposure to kind of the food that you might not want them to eat. It makes them either more interested in that food that you might not want them to eat. So if they never have sugar, they never have sweets, they just want it even more. Anyone who's ever been on a diet knows that, right? But the other thing is it has no positive impact. So I thought that's really interesting because we might think that, oh, actually teaching kids about good and bad food or even healthy slash unhealthy food, it means that they'll make quote unquote healthy choices. It doesn't. The research doesn't back that up. Actually teaching kids about where food comes from and giving kids opportunities to be exposed to food, different types of food, whether that's growing food, cooking food, playing with food and having a kind of stress-free kind of atmosphere and environment around food that is much more likely to lead to a child who has a healthy relationship with food. And then also, obviously, not making the assumption that you can tell anything about someone's relationship with food based on the way they look, because we can't. I find that so interesting. I'm sure lots of like parents will be listening, thinking, like, how can I change that? Like, what's the best thing to do? Like, like practical ad- advice for them? Yeah. I mean, first of all, don't feel bad because we all live in this culture. We're all a product of it. And shame isn't a productive kind of emotion. It's very natural to feel. I mean, I look back at some of the stuff I did and feel like, I totally cringe, like I cringe so hard. It's awful. <laughs> like it literally makes me like feel itchy. But I think that ultimately just kind of a bit of self-compassion to recognize that we're all part of this culture. We've all done things that we didn't know about necessarily at the time. The issue is once you know better, you can do better. And if you know better and you continue to not do better, then obviously that's a different story. But the neutral language thing is really important. So neutral language around bodies, food, health, you know, trying to really reframe how we think about health. Because I think with particularly with little kids, they're they're not using filters. They're not using TikTok and filters and things. And they're not necessarily aware of beauty standards in the way that an 11 or 12 or 13 year old might be. But children are getting messages at this age about health and like quite aggressive messaging about food to avoid and, you know, picking the correct kind of food and then assumptions about what a healthy body looks like. And by then extension assumptions that someone can only be worthwhile and worthy and deserving of love and care if they are healthy and if they fit what we tell them healthy looks like. And so that's when we can start to see like appearance-based bullying happen in playgrounds with little kids and little kids sort of starting to say that they feel like their bodies are wrong and displaying anti-fat bias towards other children. Children as young as three years old, by the way, the research shows kids as young as three years old. Yeah. So it's horrible. And I think think just being aware of like trying to create a home that doesn't have those things so being neutral and just always letting your kid know that you'll accept and love them and their body is fine as it is you know they don't need to change their body like you you accept and love their body unconditionally and they don't need to change it because there's also then the learning that needs to come around the complexity of health and the complexity of weight, reframing how we think about health, understanding that weight is a really complex issue and kind of moving away from that and just kind of loving our kids unconditionally as they are. And then recognizing that actually if kids feel good about their bodies, they're more likely to do things that make their bodies feel good. So moving the focus away from like trying to change their body to really kind of thinking about, okay, how can we look after our bodies with kindness? Because these ways of looking after our bodies with kindness are good for everyone, regardless of what kind of body you have. You know, movement, fresh air, time outside, enough sleep, good boundaries with social media, having good social connections, like all of those things are healthy behaviors but and they're good for everyone. So in terms of like just really simple things, like even if you don't feel great about your own body, not voicing that in front of your kids, not making judgments about other people's body, you know, around them. I mean, don't do it anyway, but like particularly don't do it in their earshot, not making constant like appearance-based comments and compliments. Even if you think it's a compliment, just like think of other ways that you can compliment people that aren't all around the way they look using really neutral language around food and bodies and health and just kind of just being neutral rather than attaching morally loaded meaning to it. 
often a really natural response if a kid comes up to you and says, oh, I'm feeling bad about my body or my body's wrong or I'm not pretty or, you know, using the word fat in a negative way. A really common response is to kind of say, oh, you know, you're not, you're great. You're not, you're not. And shut it down because we feel mm, so, yeah, we feel yeah. so uncomfortable because it's like, oh, it's bringing all these uncomfortable feelings. But actually having the capacity to sit with that and just listen to validate the child's feelings and say, do you know what? Like, yeah, buddy, it's hard. We live in a culture that makes it really hard for us to just like the way we are as we are. But you're not, it's not your fault. Wow. And maybe I felt yeah. like that myself before. And maybe you can then have a conversation. So validate it and say, just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And just because lots of people feel like that way doesn't mean that that you have to accept that you have to feel that way rather than just shutting it down and being like, no, no, I don't want to have this conversation. I, I wrote something down when you were talking. I literally wrote in my, my, this is not my bestest handwriting. My mother would be very upset. I literally wrote <laughs> down on this bit of paper, looking after our bodies with kindness because I haven't heard that term before. And I feel like as someone who struggles with like the movement stuff and, and what that means in terms of, you know, it just being for aesthetics and stuff. That's such a nice way of thinking about looking after my body. I want to look after my body, but there's diet culture going nah, in my head. But my point with saying that is everything you're saying, yes, it's relevant for kids, but I must say like I'm taking it in as me because mm -hmm. you are like, it's like base is down to like the basics, isn't it? Of introducing being way more neutral about yourself in your life. Literally everything you're saying, I'm taking in for me, not just the kiddies, love all the kiddies. Anyway, I just wanted to say that and genuinely I'm gonna write this down in my bestest handwriting, mum, promise. And it will say, Look after my body with kindness. And that's it, isn't it? It's time for a word from today's sponsor, BetterHelp, the online therapy service that connects you with a licensed therapist who can help you on your self-love. And I'm going to say it, Laura, get ready. Journey from wherever you are. <laughs> love that for me thank you uh, so yeah you guys know what huge advocates we are for therapy and one of the big reasons why is that it helps you understand yourself if you've been listening to the show for a while you know how much we've changed since the beginning and I honestly feel like I know myself more now than I have ever done but it's taken a long time to get there and it's still a process because we're always learning and changing yeah and same as you know how much I've changed even from the last few months and I honestly think one of the biggest things that's helped my confidence and self-love is getting to know myself better and in the past therapy has been a huge part of that for me and it's answered questions about myself in times when I've been in high stress or trauma or anxiety and it's just helped me understand why I think things and why I react to things in certain ways it's been brilliant yeah I think it also helps you to be kinder to yourself as well like because I think sometimes we're always our own worst enemy and our own worst critic, aren't we? And actually, I think therapy is really great for that, for actually just sort of like being more mindful and being more kind of like, you're just kind to yourself in general. And if you're thinking of trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable and completely online. You get matched with your own therapist after filling out a short survey and you can switch therapists for free at any time, which is fabulous because finding the right therapist is so important. So the fact that you have the freedom to change therapists and you don't need to do that awkward in-person breakup with them <laughs> is a game changer. Absolutely. So if you'd like to try it out, head to betterhelp.com forward slash go love to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash go love to get 10% off your first month. What about, this is a tricky question, what about if someone's, you know, if, like, if your kid or kids you worry that they are a bit unhealthy. Maybe they are kind of eating things that you think like too much of things that maybe are too like, you know, very calorie dense, not maybe not as nutritional because I imagine that's really tricky because I know that's something my mum and dad really struggled with and God love them. They had no idea. We didn't have people like you. We didn't have books like Body Happy Kids, unfortunately. There's a lot of research to suggest that when it comes to adults, that actually kind of calling it out and kind of mentioning it almost can have the opposite effect. Is it the same with, with kids? I think that we need to be so careful with, first of all, like what we define as disordered eating because so much of the time what we think of as healthy eating is actually quite disordered being like quite obsessed with eating like only 
vegetables, you know, and actually then we think, oh, that's really healthy, but actually that's like Mm. often disordered eating. So first of all, like just having a bit of a awareness about what, what are issues with eating and how do they show up? So I'm not an eating disorder specialist and I should like put a big caveat to that. But I think that a parent knows, like if they're, if they're worried about their child's relationship with food, don't wait for anything. Like if you even have an instinct that there might be an issue there, then at that point, seek professional guidance. Don't necessarily raise it with your child straight away because you don't, you don't have the tools to do that. And I think that a lot of the time what we do is we kind of put stuff off because we think, oh, it's just like normal and healthy because it's the culture that we live in teaches us that this is like normal, healthy behavior. And sometimes actually it, there might be red flags that it, it, it isn't. Most of the work that I do is around kind of prevention. And I think that when you get to the point where a child needs an intervention, almost the the stuff that I'm talking about now, I'm not saying that it's not important, but at that point you need further help, you know, with it. The other thing is like parents really worry about their kids like eating too many sweets or chocolate. Now, maybe that's a sign that they're having those foods restricted and, and that, you know, when they have access to them, they want more of them because they don't know when they're next going to have access. So it sounds counterintuitive, but maybe if a child is really wanting sweets and chocolate a lot or talking about it, the answer is to give them more access to that food, not less, and allowing them to learn to self-regulate around it. Because when you start Mm. to restrict it, what you do is inadvertently, you give it a moral meaning and you make them want it even more. And then also the other thing that can happen is kids become like almost wanting to like police what other children are eating because they think oh you you see it like at school like oh you're not allowed that because you're not allowed chocolate in your lunchbox and so then they start to make those judgments about what other people are eating and that's not good for our like collective relationship with food Mm. either so I think thinking about it as like raising children who have a long-term healthy relationship with food so for me healthy eating is having a healthy relationship with food if someone asks me what is healthy eating i'll say it's making sure that you're eating enough when you're hungry making sure that when you're hungry you you actually do eat something you know n- recognizing that food has a place in our our, our culture and our memories and our, our family that is beyond just kind of fueling our body you know things like birthdays wouldn't be the same without birthday cake you know we all have very different needs when it comes to food we live in different cultures that have different foods that we like to eat and different foods that we cook but also we have different like health needs so some children might be intolerant to something they might be allergic to something that means that they might not be able to eat that food and I think like healthy eating is having an awareness of all those things and and not just it's not just about like eating cucumber or eating lettuce or eating broccoli or whatever you know if we only ate kale we would not be healthy if we only ate chocolate we would not be healthy and then the other part of that Mm. is recognizing that nutrition just forms one part of our overall health and well-being. So actually, if a child is thriving, you know, we know if a child is, is, you can tell if your child is thriving, yeah? If a child is thriving, then it's probably not something that you really need to worry about in terms of like, are they eating all the peas on their plate? Because actually their overall health and well-being is, is more than just the food that they're eating, which sounds like that sounds kind of radical because we live in diet culture that tells us that our health and well-being is completely about what we eat and only about how we move our body but actually health is so complicated and if you think about it like a big kind of pie you've got to think about your your nutrition and the food that your kid is eating is just one piece of that pie you know if you're not also thinking about how much sleep they're getting and what their social relationships are like and if they have a good relationship with movement and if they enjoy moving their body and have they been, are they being bullied? Are they being discriminated against? What's their access to education? What's their access to food? You know, are they living in food insecurity? Is their house warm enough? Yeah, all of those things arguably impact their health more than whether they're going to eat all the peas on their plate. You, you saying about the peas on the plate made me kind of think about like how so many of us grow up being told like you must finish your plate. What an effect that has on us as adults. Like I, I hope Matt won't mind me saying this, but he like now, like it doesn't matter if he is is like beyond full, like almost going to be sick. He will finish his plate 
because as a kid he was told to finish his plate i'm guessing we need to kind of stop doing that to to kids yeah yeah because like we're born with the inbuilt ability to regulate our hunger like a baby a baby knows when their tummy's full and they don't want any more milk it's as we grow up and we start getting those external messages that can mess up with that inbuilt ability to just be in tune with what our bodies need and so that whole clear your plate thing that's an that's messing up with their internal ability to regulate their own appetite we're giving them an external rule what we need to do is just kind of stop interfering we need to interfere less and stop kind of with all the rules around this stuff which is hard because of all the things I said before, you know, it's an emotive subject. We feel like we're bad parents if they're not eating in the way that we think they should be eating. And we're probably going to get judged by other people. And also everyone else has an opinion. So I recognize this is hard. And I certainly am not going to be the first person to be like, you're doing it wrong because it is really messy and we're all just trying our best. But I think having an awareness around it is helpful. You talk a bit about the division of responsibility in in your book. Can you explain that to us a little bit more? Yeah. So there's um, an infant feeding specialist in America called Ellen Satter, and she basically created this model to help parents who were struggling with feeding their kids. So she basically came up with this thing called the division of responsibility. And to put it really simply, the idea is that when it comes to feeding kids, the adult has a list of responsibilities and the child has a list of responsibilities. And the issues with food and feeding happen when those lists get mixed up. So on the adult's list, the adult's job is to provide the food, cook the food, decide where the food is going to be eaten and decide when the food is going to be eaten. On the child's list, the responsibilities are to decide whether to eat the food and to decide how much of the food to eat. And as soon as those two lists get mixed up, so maybe a child is worrying, you know, they're starting to think about when their next meal is coming and they're starting to think about, you know, where the food is coming from. Maybe they're living with food insecurity, for example. Maybe they've been put on a diet by their parents. Maybe they're having their food restricted. Or maybe the adult is, you know, nagging the child to eat all the food on their plate or telling the child off for like, you know, not eating whatever before they're allowed their pudding. If the kids start doing the things on the adults list or the adults start doing the things on the kids list, that's when the issues can happen. Now, there are some parts of that that I find work really well for us, but I've got to be honest, there are also, I sometimes veer from that. So my daughter is quite selective and I've found that if I'm always the one choosing what is going to be served up at dinner time, sometimes in our family, the things that help her are having a bit of say over that. So I've even gone to the supermarket with her and said to her, right, let's walk around the supermarket and you pick what looks good. You tell me what looks good, what you fancy, and we'll try it and we'll get it. And then she feels like she's involved. Now that isn't in line with the division of responsibility because that's kind of, she's taking something from the adult list. I, I think it's a really useful tool Um, But I also kind of think more about kind of responsive feeding. So like trying to respond to a child's hunger and fullness cues and just kind of trusting that they're in tune with their body. And also allowing my kids to have some element of um, say in like what we eat as a family. Because also it's really, really boring to be meal planning all the time and deciding what we're always going to eat. To allow like my family to have a bit of say in like what's for dinner on a Tuesday evening or whatever (laughs) takes the pressure off me, but also it gives them a bit, it empowers them a little bit. Ellen Satter probably wouldn't like that. I don't know if she would or not, but I do, I do think it is a really, it is a really useful tool for parents, particularly parents who have kids who are very selective with what they eat. Yeah. And I like that. And I think um, the fact that you've changed that a little bit just kind of is an opportunity just to say with any of these things, obviously there are circumstances that are different for other families, you know, and so much that we're not able to talk about in just one episode. And, 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 a, and a big thing that, you know, is going off in my head is, is, you know, families who don't have a lot of money money and aren't able to provide a lot of food and stuff we're we're not able to talk about that at length this podcast and the point of saying that is there's lots that we're not able to talk about let's not judge each other 
there's a lot of judgment that comes from being a mum, I understand. And let's not be the ones putting that on other people or, or mm. on yourself. So I think that's a really important thing. Absolutely. Because I think that we all need to recognise actually these are systemic issues. These are issues. That I was just thinking Yeah, that, they're yeah. systemic. It's to do with the culture and to do with the systems mm. that we're all growing up in. It's not down to one individual person. We're all just a product of this. So that doesn't mean that we don't all have a collective responsibility to create change, which we do, but actually we're also all part, just players in a wider, bigger system. Yeah. And a lot of it, I think, depends on our parents and how they were brought up and their their parents' relationship with food around them. Like my mum grew up with no food in the house and she said during the summer holidays, they didn't know how to cook. They were too young. Sometimes she was so hungry, she would eat raw potatoes. So my mum has really struggled with binge eating. And I think, and like, this is, the, I am not blaming my mum at all. Like, you know, I've got the best mum and dad in the world. It's just, I think it's systemic from the diet culture. And then it's also, you get it from like the, your parents that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to pass that on. And I think it's really important what you're saying is that we shouldn't be blaming each other or ourselves or our parents it's just about kind of going and sitting with it and going okay this is where we are now we know we know more now let's educate ourselves and let's try and implement some kind of like better more neutral responses going forward and let's let's try and give like our kids a bit more like freedom around food rather than you know so much control and dictating it and making them feel bad and I think I think that's you know the most important thing here We have got some audience questions. Uh, we had lots of questions about this. How to talk to nieces and nephews. And, and in that, I'm going to include, you know, your, your friends' kids and any other kids in your world that aren't your own, especially when their own parents are deep in diet culture. It's really, really, really tricky. One of the things that I I think that can work well and something that I've used like with my own family and some of my own friends is bringing it up and saying, do you know what? I've been learning about something. Maybe we could learn about it together. Maybe that's a conversation that you have with the adult. I've discovered this great podcast called Go Love Yourself. I'd love to know what your <laughs> thoughts are about it. Maybe we could like both agree to like listen to the latest episode this week and then maybe we could have a chat about it. I'd love to know what I'd just really like to have a chat with you about it. Or if it's um, with the, the niece or nephew, it could be, you know, do you know what? Like this stuff is, it's that validating piece that I was saying before. So do you know what? This stuff is really difficult, but I've been learning about it. And do you know what? Even gro grownups don't always have all the answers, you know, themselves. And you might even notice that some of your teachers sometimes say things that, that can make you feel bad. Or, you know, sometimes mum and dad might because it's not their fault. It's that we all live in this world that makes it sometimes difficult to be friends with our bodies. But I've been learning some things that have helped me. Maybe we could, maybe we could kind of have a chat and learn together. And and that really kind of brings people into the conversation rather than going in and being like, you're doing this wrong. You've got to do it like this, you know, ignore your mum, ignore your dad, like actually kind of making yourself a safe space for them to come and share with you in a judgment free zone. You're not going to be like putting them in a difficult situation where you're having a go at their parents you're not going to kind of belittle their own feelings. You're going to validate them, but you're also going to create a safe space for them to come to. And you never know, like that could also be an opportunity to then bring the adults in who are deeply entrenched into diet culture, bring them along a little bit with you as well. I saw it, someone posted on our, I think was it our, on our community page, Lauren, they were really worried about uh, Christmas just gone because their dad and stepmom were very much entrenched in diet culture, would constantly refer to like food as good and bad, monitoring what they're eating, talking about calories. And she said that she finally plucked up the courage to text and say, look, we're really trying to kind of be more neutral around the kids and not kind of mention that. So look, this is really difficult to say, but when you come over for Christmas, can you, and from now on, can you please not mention stuff like what you're eating and the calories and all of that in front of them? And the response back from this like six-year-old dad was like, oh God, you know what? I'm so, I'm so sorry. You're right. Like we have become quite bad at that late, lately because I think he had a, maybe a health scare and he said, so we've just been on this one track mind and his response to it was really mm. was just it melt it really like made me warm and fuzzy and I was like brilliant like he kind of was like oh yeah god you're right sorry yeah no worries we'll make sure we don't do that and I think 
unfortunately not every family is like going to be as supportive of that or as understanding but I think that hopefully it just goes to show that it's not maybe as scary a conversation to have as you think it may be and you might not get the the negative response that she was certainly anticipating and thankfully she she didn't get Another question that we had for you, Molly, was uh, about secret eating. So one of our listeners has said that they've noticed their child eats in secret. And she says, how should I approach this? That's a really difficult one. And I think I need to be careful to like stay within my lane of expertise. You know, I don't want to be giving advice that's potentially wrong. I think I would go back to what I said before in that if you think that there is an issue and there's a red flag, like if you have even a hunch, then at that point you should like seek some kind of help for it. You know, even if it's just having a conversation with your GP or speaking to an eating disorder service to find out if that is actually something that you need to be worried about. That I think at that point, if I notice some kind of behavior like that, that's when I would be seeking professional advice and I want to be really careful not to be like you need to go to your child and say this here's a sample script for you to use because Mm. actually that's not within my scope of expertise I think if you're worried and you notice something like that so often we don't trust our instincts your instincts are right the fact that you have messaged in this question shows it is something that you're concerned about which shows me that that's something you then should seek professional advice about we've got one last question for you molly and one of our lovely listeners has said how can i balance all of this without getting overwhelmed or feeling like a bad parent if i do it wrong be kind to yourself (laughs) be Mm. just like i was saying treat your body with kindness treat your mind with kindness you're not going to unlearn a lifetime of diet culture and diet culture behaviors and diet culture beliefs overnight you know you it's so easy to come to this conversation and be like oh my god i need to do all the things I need to unlearn all the things. What's the way? Where's the manual? And actually the fact that you are even aware of this, like that's massive. And then secondly, just give yourself time because it takes, it takes a while to listen to the podcasts and read the books and have the conversations and think and work out where your own thinking is with these things. And I think that sometimes as a parent, like there are so many things that we feel that we have to get right. And I think it's really definitely okay to be totally open and honest with your kids and say, do you know what? I don't know. Or do you know what? I said that, but I think maybe I was wrong. I think maybe I got that wrong. Kids can sniff bullshit a mile off. Like if they feel that they're being like, you know, bullshitted or lied to, they're not going to believe you and they're not going to come to you. It's totally okay to say, do you know what? That's a really good question and it deserves a really honest answer. I don't know right now. I'm going to think about that and then let's come back to it when we can have a proper conversation about it or maybe we can learn about it together. I think that, you know, books are a really good place to start. There are loads of really lovely like picture books for little kids. There are some lovely books for older kids, but also you're not going to get you know, an A star at this, the end of this. This isn't a linear journey. This is lifelong stuff. We're learning new things all the time. This isn't, it's not a race. You're not going to get a certificate at the end of it. So kind of be a little bit kind to yourself and recognize that mm. you're trying your best. The fact that you've even asked this conversation shows to me that you're probably already in a really good place. Yeah, I think that has been such an eye opener. I really appreciate your time, your honesty, and definitely do check out Molly's book, Body Happy Kids. Thank you so much, Molly. Uh, that's all from us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we really hope you found today's episode interesting. And if you ever want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, email us. The address is golove at crowdnetwork.co.uk. And if you want more of us, who wouldn't? You can check out our Facebook group, Go Love Yourself Community, or our Instagram at Go Love Yourself Pod. And you can also support the show by subscribing on Patreon or Apple Podcasts, where you can get ad free and early episodes for £1 a week. Or you can listen ad free on Amazon Music. And remember to check out our new YouTube channel. Just search for Go Love Yourself Podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.